You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you hear that chant, you know it's time for another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, hosted by me, Doug Robertson, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I've covered Atlanta United since before it was a franchise, uh, back when it was just a speck in Don Garber and Arthur Blank's eye. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson, no T in the Robertson. And I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for all of your news and features about your favorite local sports teams, as well as local news and the art scene and business. Before I get into wrapping up Atlanta United's preseason, their five weeks of preseason, which ended with Sunday's 4-0 win against Birmingham, I wanted to let y'all know that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, and it has to be today, not tomorrow, not Wednesday, do it right now. You will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition. It's limited. You can't just get this anywhere. Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution Scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. And I'll hold for a second so you can go ahead and do that. Okay, I'm done holding. I assume you already did it. Thank you. You just put uh, food on my table for my six kids. I appreciate it. Um, so, Atlanta United went to Birmingham yesterday, played fairly well for about 10 minutes. Um, and it was an important 10 minutes because they scored three goals to go on top of an own goal scored by a Birmingham player, uh, a comically bad, and I feel bad for him, embarrassing own goal. Uh, but the highlights of the game were two goals scored by Joseph Martinez, which is a very, very good sign for the five stripes. Another goal by Ronald Hernandez. And Amar Sadich, filling in at midfield because of myriad injuries, had three very well-taken assists. All three of the goals came in an eight-minute stretch over either side of halftime, which helped erase a, a rather poor start in which the team maybe created one chance in the first 40-something minutes. Um, the biggest difference in that eight-minute stretch and most of the first half and parts of the second half were Amar Sadich and Mateus Uzetu, the two central midfielders, really got forward. They got between the midfield and the back line of Birmingham. They forced defenders to make decisions. They found pockets of space. And when they're able to do that, it's going to create more space because other people have got to slide forward. 
So then he saw Ronald Hernandez darting in right to left for his goal. He saw Mateus Uzetu darting in from left to central to backheel a pass to Joseph Martinez on his first goal. He saw Marcetic again coming in on the right to feed Joseph Martinez at about 19 yards for his goal. It is the biggest difference in this offense compared to some of what you saw against Shivas uh, in Guadalajara last week and the final you know, 10 games, 8 to 10 games last season in which if the team didn't have an individual moment of brilliance, such as Joseph Martinez's goal against Cincinnati in the finale, it likely was not going to score. Atlanta United has a lot of brilliantly individual, talented players, but they've got to, to operate within Pineda's system to consistently win, not just hold on to win. And that's what you saw a little bit of get about at Birmingham, I should say. Sorry about that. Um, so earlier today, I posted uh, kind of five thoughts about Atlanta United. Uh, you can find that on my Twitter at Doug Robertson AGC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm not going to go into all of them because I want you to read the story. Uh, but some of the topics, um, I went into the formation, how I thought it looked uh, with the back four, which is two center backs and two fullbacks, compared to what Pineda preferred last year, which is three center backs and two wing backs. You can get my verdict on that. Kind of the offense within the formation, and I just covered part of that just now. But if you'll uh, click on that story, you'll see it. Why Sadich and Huzetu were able to get forward and cause the defense problems. You'll read why that happened. And then all the injuries, but then the subsequent depth that Pineda's been able to use in this preseason. And then lastly, the designated players and what I think they're going to have to do and what they can do to help Atlanta United challenge for an MLS Cup, which will be its second since winning its first in 2018. I also want you all to know that we have our season preview package coming out on Sunday. That's in Sunday's paper. All the content will be turned in by Thursday. That's going to include a big feature on Pineda, a player-by-player -player look at the roster, my predicted order of finish in the Eastern Conference, um, and five questions with somebody, and I'm trying to figure out who that somebody's going to be. Hoping to take care of that at Wednesday's media availability. So, as I said, y'all sent me a whole lot of questions. So right now I'm going to toss it to a break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to get into those questions. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back. And I want y'all to know that other than the first game uh, at Colorado, I think we're going to be traveling this year. Um, so you'll get kind of boots on the ground reporting from me. So that's going to be nice. I'm not going to go to Colorado because my lovely wife, Annette, uh, has been working her tail off uh, rehearsing for a nine to five, a play that's going to be held here at the Carrollton Arts Center 
um, in early March, and that is opening night. And I cannot miss that. I will not miss that. Um, so that that's where I'm going to be. And then I'm going to cover the game the next day uh, from beautiful Dick's Sporting Goods Park, if that's even still the name of it, in Colorado, out on the prairie. Um, and if you live in Carrollton, go see 9 to 5. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So let's get into your questions. This one was sent in last week, but didn't make it in time for the podcast. And it was sent in by Michael. It's a long question. It's, could you provide a bit of an overview of how the transfer process works for those of us, he puts in parentheses, maybe just me, that are a little new to soccer? More specifically, I was a bit confused by a comment you made. You're not the first one to ever be confused by a comment I made a few weeks ago about Atlanta United wanting to wait a year to sell Miles Robinson in hopes his value goes up. Wouldn't that added value be mitigated by selling a player with only one year remaining on his contract instead of two? Does the existing contract remain in place with the new club after a transfer? Relatedly, once a contract expires, is that player free to sign anywhere in the world or are the rights still maintained by the league, even for a free agent? Those are fantastic questions. Thank you very much, Michael. So just kind of taking them in a scattershot approach. The theory is that if Miles Robinson, if the U.S. qualifies for the World Cup, Miles Robinson will likely be a starter at center back. If he plays well against the best talent in the world, as opposed to MLS, which is a very good league but doesn't include the best talent in the world, his value is going to skyrocket. Now, you're correct in that he only has one year left on the deal, but typically, whenever a player is transferred, they negotiate a new contract with their new team unless they simply don't want to do that. I would assume that Miles Robinson will very much want to do that. Um, He'll be in his prime money-making years. He needs to, to grab it while he can. So that will happen. Uh, once a contract expires, is that player free to sign anywhere in the world or are the rights still maintained by the league? That is a really good question. And to be honest with you, I am not sure. I think that once they are released, MLS can then release them if they want to sign anywhere else in the world. It does MLS no good to hold on to the rights or they can simply maintain MLS rights. And if the player decides to come back, they go back into the allocation order and then another team can pick them up. Um, so then a transfer works like this typically. This is not always the case. Another club will contact the agent of a player and say, hey, we're interested in him. Is he interested in coming to us? If the answer is no, then there's no point continuing. If the agent says yes, then they'll go to the front office of that club. Let's say we're, we're talking about River Plate and Barco, for example. River Plate will then go to Atlanta United and say, hey, we're interested in this player. And then the negotiations will start, whether it's going to be a loan, whether it's going to be a loan to buy, whether it's going to be a straight purchase. They'll negotiate the value of that. And then the club will typically reach back out to the player's agent and work out the personal terms for a new contract or whatever they're going to do. And then once everything is agreed to, it goes to both leagues to be signed off on, in this case, uh, MLS and Argentina's first division, the premier, I think it's premier division. And then the player is transferred. Sometimes it takes forever and a day, like Eric Lopez and Banfield, which started like a month ago and still isn't complete. Um, and who knows why? Um, Atlanta United is nothing if not methodical. So anyway, that's kind of a 30,000-foot view of how a transfer works. Christian, friend of the podcast, says, I am drinking a cup of coffee as I write this question. You are a good man. And I hope you're doing the same as you read it. I'm not because it's 11.15 and I've already had one cup. I'll have another later. Our roster seems to have a shortage of players who consistently deliver game-changing passes. Coffee sip with a little smiley face. Who is the MLS gold standard at the number 10 position? 
outside of possibly Almeida, which players on our roster have the most potential to deliver that type of playmaking? That's a great question. Uh, the gold standard right now is Carlos Heel of New England, who destroyed everyone in uh, the race to win the, um, the, not the golden boot, but the, the assist title last season. Henny Mukhtar of Nashville, also very, very good. Uh, Diego Valeri, when he was with Portland in his prime, very, very good. Uh, there are a lot of guys like that. Uh, Julian Gressel, uh, not really a 10, but as a winger, very, very good. Brooks Lennon last year tr- created a lot of chances, not as a 10, but as a winger. Um, those are just a few of the names off the top of my head. I'm really curious to see what Jordan Shakiri is going to do at Chicago, depending upon where they play him this year. Uh, there's a lot of really up-and-coming young South Americans that are coming into the league. I'm excited to watch this year. On Atlanta United, a lot's going to depend upon where they play Tiago Almada. If Pineda plays him as a winger, I think it's going to reduce his chances for assists because you're you're you know operating out of one third of the field. If they play him as an attacking midfielder, I think he could be that guy. I'm also intrigued by Jake Mulraney, but he's been hurt. Amar Sadich played really really well yesterday, but you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt because Birmingham has only been in its preseason two weeks. You could tell the guys were very much out of shape. Birmingham kind of ran out of gas after about 30 minutes. But I think he has potential too. People forget he was having a very, very good year for Montreal when Atlanta United traded for him last year following Emerson Hyman's injury. Um, I don't know if he's going to get playing time ahead of Marcelino Moreno and possibly Emerson Hyman, but both of them have missed most of training or haven't played in any of the games at training camp because they're recovering from injuries. So we'll see. Tom says, uh, there was no mention of Alan Franco in the article on the match at Birmingham. What is his status? Uh, Well, I wrote a second story, Tom. Alan cannot play in the first game because of red card suspension from the playoff game. So there's no point in playing him against Chivas or against Birmingham because he can't start on Sunday against Sporting Kansas City. So he played with Atlanta United 2 on Saturday, and that's why he was not in Birmingham on Sunday because there's no point. I'm pretty sure unless... Miles Robinson and George Campbell just locked down Sporting Kansas City that you'll see Alan Franco at Colorado uh, against the Rapids. On to Sean, friend of the podcast. Any insight into what is involved for a work visa? It's just a lot of documentation, a lot of documentation that you're, uh, you can legally work, uh, that you're not wanted for any reason, proof of employment. Um, it's just a lot of red tape that players have to do. It's not going to be a problem for Almeida to get it. It's just a, a problem with how long that it might take. Typically, it doesn't take very long. I think you'll see him in training this week. Whether he starts against Sporting Kansas City, I don't know yet because he's only gotten 50 minutes of playing time this preseason. Adam asks, COVID issues notwithstanding, how would I compare the preseason approaches of Pineda versus pass managers? It's similar. Uh, Most teams do things the same way, build up minutes and friendlies. You try to increase the competition as you go and then kind of have an easier game in the finale. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Frank DeBoer, a little bit of Tata. Heinze didn't remind me anything about Heinze other than going to Mexico. And obviously, Pineda, I don't think, overworked the guys like Heinze did. Um, so, you know, it's hard to read how much you get out of a preseason. Most, you're hoping for no injuries, and Atlanta United has a lot of those. Not really related to anything done in the preseason, just some from last season. Any fears that uh, Gutman and Araujo will drift inside too often, or will Joseph be able to comfortably adapt his runs to this addition of the Five Stripes offense? No, I, I don't think you need to worry about that. Um, Gutman and, and Araujo are pretty smart players. If one goes outside, one comes inside. If there's an overlap, you'll hopefully have one of the central midfielders filling in that space so that Joseph 
can maintain his spot near the center back so he can try to pounce on loose balls, pounce on crosses, things like that. I don't think you have anything to worry about there. It may take a little bit of time, uh, but the good news is Gutman Araujo have played, I think, every preseason game on the same side of the field. Joseph has played the past two games, so it may take a few games, but I think they're going to be okay. There are two tough games to start the season, and then the team is still a few weeks out from being considered at full strength, but three of the first four are at home. What do you think would be a good record heading into the first international break? So at Lightning United, it starts with Sporting Kansas City without Alan Polito at Colorado. Colorado won the West last season, but I just I don't have as much faith in them this year. They've lost quite a few players uh, from that team. I don't think they're going to be very good this year, to be honest with you. Um, home against Charlotte, which still doesn't have a full roster. At home against Montreal, which is kind of a wild card. So in all honesty, I think 10 points would be easily reachable for uh, Atlanta United in, in these first four games. Uh, Dennis or Denise, I think it's Dennis, and I always ask that and I always feel bad. Um, why does the team look slow and tired on the pitch? Why are they still unable to string three-plus passes together in attack? All right, so we have a, a sledgehammer type of a question here. I think unable to string three-plus passes together in attack was more of a function of I don't know what it was a function of. I know the field yesterday, they were talking about it on, on uh, the broadcast. New turf, hard to pass on. The ball wasn't moving very well. The guys weren't moving very well. Um, I think, you know, tired from a long preseason doesn't bode well for next Sunday, but I guess everyone's going to be tired. And, you know, that, that's the only thing I can think of about that. Ben asks, should we start to be a little concerned about Pineda's tactical plans? <clears throat> Listening to the radio broadcast, it seemed Birmingham dominated large portions of the first half. If we come out like this against Sporting Kansas City, the result is going to be similar to the opener against Houston in 2018. Don't remind me of that opener against Houston in 2018. Goodness gracious. I flew into Houston. I was out in some industrial complex because I'd never been to Houston before. Walked down and got some barbecue. Went to the game. Beautiful stadium. Downtown Houston. It's everything MLS wants. Nobody there. And Atlanta United just laid a gigantic turd, to be quite honest. I thought uh, Gerardo Martino picked the absolute wrong lineup. Didn't play Parkhurst. I don't believe Parkhurst was fine, but didn't play him. And the team just looked awful. Just awful. One of the worst games I've ever seen him play. I don't think that's going to be the case against Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I think Birmingham did play better than Atlanta United in the first 30 minutes. Birmingham wanted to come out and show Atlanta United something. Uh, it had quite a few former Atlanta United, either players or academy players on its roster, they were motivated, but their legs could only go so far. I think Atlanta United was kind of waiting them out a little bit, let them burn themselves out, and then they started to attack. They kind of started to remember, oh, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing tactically with runs behind the lines, runs between the midfielders and the defense, and then they easily took advantage of the game and was able to easily see it out. That was the other thing about Atlanta United's defense this season. Among the first-teamers, they only allowed, I think, three goals – and all three were the result of individual errors. And I write about that in that story. You can find it at Doug Robertson, AJC, or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Um, so I think the defense looked pretty well, or played pretty well uh, during the preseason. Nick asks, I hope all is well and you're enjoying your coffee. My question is, if you believe that the starting 11 from yesterday's game will be similar to next week's 11, what do they need to do differently to not have a lull and chance creation like today's first half? Well, I've covered this. They need to continue to make the runs. They need to trust each other. They need to trust that Ozzie Alonso, Miles Robinson, and George Campbell can clean up anything that Sporting Kansas City tries to throw at them. They can't give up set-piece goals. They didn't yesterday. They gave up a lot 
in those two games in Mexico. But Pineda said they've adjusted that. Individual errors. They think they're okay there now. But I think that Atlanta United could take that game against sport, Sporting Kansas City. But they have to do what Pineda wants. They have to make runs. They have to make Sporting Kansas City work. I say this all the time. Um, you have to make defenders make choices. If you're standing around, defenders can stand around, and it's pretty easy to defend at that point. You have to either make the ball move quickly, or you have to move quickly, or both. Atlanta United has to do that. Doug, not me, a, I'm sure much better, much smarter, much more talented, much more successful Doug, says, who has pleasantly surprised you during the preseason? Well, you have, Doug, with your question. But on the field, um, Sadich played great against Birmingham. I think Gutman has played pretty well. He was a little bit quiet against Mexico. He had a bad cross against Birmingham, but I think he's going to be fine at left back. I think George Campbell has looked good at center back. Um, it's really a question of who who hasn't looked good, and it's hard for me to say. I think Arahujo's had some moments of brilliance. He's also had some pretty silly turnovers, kind of Barco-esque, Pitti-esque kind of things, but I think he'll get those worked out. Um, I really wish we could have seen more of Amada, but that's how it is. Um then there you go. Dr. Fallis, friend of the podcast, says, Hey, Doug, always thankful for your insight and knowledge. Well, thank you, doctor. And I'm sorry to hear about your dog. I think I saw on Facebook that one of your dogs might have passed away, and I hate to hear that, so I'm sorry. Who do you foresee as the backup striker? Well, I think it's going to be Dom Dwyer. Um, I know Atlanta United is tied to another young player. I'm going to be stunned if they sign that guy, only because you don't want to take up an international roster slot with a guy who's not going to play, and he won't play. Um... So we'll see. It could be a loan or it could be something like that. Will Almeida be our distributing central midfielder connecting to Joseph? If so, that means Moreno will have to play on the left wing, which he doesn't excel as much. I agree with you. What do you foresee? Moreno in the center and Almeida on the left wing? I'm a huge believer of playing a player in their favorite position, specifically someone like Almeida. Almeida started, he does best as a 10. I totally agree with you. Moreno on the left wing, he's just not nearly as effective Um Dribbles too much, doesn't have the speed to beat defenders. But he's a talented guy. I mean, like nine goals, five assists last year, or five goals, nine assists. I get it backwards. It wouldn't surprise me if you see Almeida starting at attacking midfielder, Moreno coming off the bench as a left wing or as an attacking midfielder, particularly early in the season as both players start to get their legs. And then Pineda will kind of figure out what's going on where. So that opens up the question, well, who starts on the left wing? I think you'll see Tyler Wolf there to start, or maybe Mulraney if he's not hurt too badly. Um, we don't know what his injury was. Every injury is day-to-day, according to Pineda. But, you know, as I said last week, aren't we all day-to-day, to quote Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick. So the left wing is kind of the big hole in question mark, and we're hoping to get some clarification on that soon. Gregory asks, it appears several MLS teams wrapped up preseason by playing other MLS teams. In past years, it seemed to make sense to forgo that due to the fact that we had CCL games before the season started. Is there any background on why we didn't wrap up preseason by playing another MLS team in this region? Well, I think all the other teams already had games scheduled, and that's it. Um, Atlanta United typically likes to play at least one preseason game in the region so that the fans can come and attend and have fun. Started you know, with their very first game at Chattanooga, Charleston a couple of times, Birmingham now three times. Um, I'd love for them to, to do something different, um, go to Savannah and play Tormenta. Memphis is a bit far, but that would be fun. Go to Nashville, uh, go back to Chattanooga, play Red Wolves or, or uh, the other Chattanooga team. Uh, something fun like that. Um, 
But yeah, I, I always enjoy those trips because I love traveling and I love visiting other cities. I told y'all we had a lot of questions and there's more coming. Jason says, Dearest Doug, thank you for your work. I truly enjoy it. Kind of starts off like a Civil War letter. Dearest Doug, we have been camped for five weeks. We have no sign of progress. I am forlorn. All we have are varsity hot dogs to eat. Anyway, hold on, coffee sip. No, really, I had to take a sip. I didn't get to watch much of the match versus Legion, but Hernandez's defending at times looked naive, almost like he's expecting the Legion attacker to drop the pressure to regain possession, and then either losing or nearly losing possession himself deep in the defending third. Is this an accurate observation, or was the larger sample of part of the match I didn't see different? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Hernandez scored. He also scored a goal last preseason. But to me, he's not nearly as good as Brooks Lennon. Some of that may just be he doesn't get the minutes that Brooks Lennon gets, and once he gets them, he's going to be better. But he worries me a little bit when he is on the field. Um, we'll see how quickly Brooks recovers. Again, day-to-day. Um, but if I were an MLS team, I would be looking at targeting Hernandez down that left as often as I could. Kevin says, I really hope Almeida adds what we appear to be missing in the attack. It seems, same as in years past, when there are opportunities to break in the final third, there just aren't enough runners arriving in or near the box. I also think that Marino will add that as well. Disappointed that we don't have any info on what is up with Marino missing all the preseason. Also, I'm going to say it, Joseph doesn't look dangerous enough. I know we shouldn't expect 2017 or 2018 Joseph, but I want to see more from him pushing the back line and having those explosive runs. He seems to drop back too much. Maybe he doesn't think he can beat the back line's thought. Um, some of that, him dropping back, is a function of the attacking midfielder not being where they're supposed to be, not finding spaces between the lines. And again, as I keep hammering this, you started to see some more of that as yesterday's game went on. Um, as far as runners near the box, you do have a problem in Atlanta United's midfield when you have Sadich, Chuzetu, and Alonzo, or even Sosa and Ibarra, even Moreno. There's not a lot of speed, not a lot of straight line speed. So if there is a turnover and you see guys getting forward, it's going to take a little bit of time. Ibarra is a fantastic defensive player, but he runs like he's got a refrigerator on his back. Um, Moreno has a little bit of speed, but he's not like an Almiron type player. Um, so you've got to you've got to have your discipline within the formation, so that there there is a turnover, you have less room to run to be in the attacking third. So we're going to see how that happens. And then he ends as I'm typing this, Atlanta. You just put two up with some dangerous runs. So there you go. All right. Well, once again, I want to remind you that the Atlanta Journal Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today. Don't wait. Why do you want to wait? Live now. You will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week. I can't think of anything other than a peppermint patty, which I love, that I can get for $2 less than $2.30 a week. But you're also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. And I know a lot of y'all out there collect scarves, so add this to your collection. All you have to do, sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. 
This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Please click, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. Hope you all are having a great day. Talk to you later. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. <laughs> <laughs>